take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA Kit by Endocana Health. I did this years ago, and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the Endo DNA Collection Kit, Endo Decoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, endo-aligned product matching in your state, suggested dosage guidelines, and optimum methods of administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, EndoDNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Effica Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Effica Unwind, created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formulation of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget, promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, You heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's high time. We had a high time. Together. Together. Yes, it's high time. We had a high time. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe your host and cannabis lifestyle guide. And today, we're getting in the weeds on sleep hygiene and the various outcomes of using cannabis as a tool for getting better Zs. Now, I'm mostly a rock star sleeper, except during those bouts when I'm overly stressed or ruminating on something that's not serving my highest good. Almost everyone I know uses at least one form of a sleep aid every single night. And many take a combo of things like alcohol, narcotics, various forms of cannabis, herbal tea remedies, melatonin, and magnesium, just to name a few. 
I've most recently been noodling on solutions for a certain North Carolina teen and her parents who'd reached out to me for coaching on how to approach cannabis for sleep responsibly. And since I'm all about finding solutions rather than slapping on the band-aids, I called up Dr. Cody Peterson, a pediatric pharmacist, educator, and cannabis science expert. Between his doctor of pharmacy and MS in cannabis science and therapeutics, Cody is well-equipped on his mission to destigmatize and demystify cannabis. As chief science officer of the Kenigma and founding member of the Pharmacists Cannabis Coalition of California, Dr. Peterson's work is focused on providing accurate, digestible, actionable information about cannabis to healthcare providers and to the public. So if you and everyone else in your house is tired of you waking up on the wrong side of the bed, this podcast is for you. It's also for anyone who loves an insomniac and wants to help them sleep better so they can live their best life. There is so much good and actionable information about sleep in this podcast. We even discuss how to cautiously approach THC use and cannabinoid therapy in teens struggling with sleep issues. And we touch on cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, which we'll dive deeper on in an upcoming podcast. But first, a word from our sponsor, MJ Relief, the muscle rub PhD formulated for what aches and pains you. And this week, since we're talking about sleep, I'll tell you how clutch MJ Relief is for a little pre-sleep massage. So my side hustle right now is working my body over like I'm 26. But I'm not. I'm 46. And at the end of a shift, I come home, smoke a bowl in the shower, do some stretching, and then massage MJ Relief into my hips and shoulders. That gives me enough relief to relax into sleep. Now, the nights when I forget to bring the tube of MJ Relief to my nightstand, and I feel too tired to get up and get it, I end up lying there awake feeling the discomfort until I get my ass up and get the MJ Relief. If you're feeling my pain and need a tube of MJ Relief on your nightstand, head over to mjskinrelief.com and use promo code CASUALLYBAKED, all one word, to save 10% on your purchase. That's mjskinrelief.com. And if you're listening on your phone, scroll down in the podcast app you're using to see the episode notes where you'll find links to this offer and more from other Casually Baked partner brands. Shopping podcast affiliates is a win-win because you saving money on the things you want supports the production of this show. And if you're picking up what I'm putting down, please rate and review Casually Baked the podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. That one small action helps other canna-curious folks find this highly responsible cannabis content. It's difficult to solve a problem without understanding the nuts and bolts of the situation. So today, we're defining types of sleep issues, what good sleep really looks like, and how our body regulates our sleep cycle. And then we dive into tips and tricks around both cannabis and non-cannabis sleep remedies that you might be using and how layering your experience might bring you a more restful night's sleep. We also explore some non-medicated sleep hygiene practices worth integrating into your daily routine. We also discuss how to transition safely from prescription meds to natural options. 
And these days, more and more teens are struggling to get a good night's sleep. So we also spend time discussing cannabis use among young people and highly responsible ways to utilize minor cannabinoids for sleep and anxiety without the overuse of THC. We also touch on the synthetic cannabinoids readily available in non-cannabis legal states and how they're made. Knowledge is power, my friend, and I want you to understand the big picture so you can make the right choices for you and your family. All right, this is an important conversation that I am excited to share with you. So smoke them if you got them and settle in. It's time to get casually baked. If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095 or visit collateralbase.com. It's high time. We had a high time together. Together. I gauge my day based on how well I slept the night before. So let's get this sleep party started talking about why it's so darn important to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> well, <laughs> so so many room for puns there. I think it's a <laughs> no, sleepover. So if it's a sleep party, it's a sleepover. Uh, slumber party. There's so many different ways we can go with it. Look, I think it it goes without saying that sleep matters, and I think everyone gets this because if you wake up in the morning and you had a good night's rest, you feel better than the opposite. Let's say you got a terrible night's rest. You were woken up every hour or less because of a meowing kitten or a brand new barking puppy or maybe a a new crying baby. Um, Those are just three common examples, but there's a million reasons why we don't get sleep. And I can assure you that the individuals who get that poor sleep, they wake up, they do not feel as well as the individuals who had that nice eight hours or seven and a half hours of sleep. And this is because as mammals, as as animals, we, we need sleep to keep our brain healthy. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I became pretty radical about my sleep habits when I had my genetic testing done and I learned that I had two of the three genes for dementia and Alzheimer's, which was why I was getting the genetic testing done anyway. Right, right. And I learned how powerful sleep is to help with our brain health. And I'm all about, you know, being lazy. What is the least amount of work I can do (laughs) for maximum benefit? Exercise is also important for our brain health and and the food we put into our bodies. But just simply 
laying it down and getting eight hours of sleep a night was the thing that I learned was the best thing I could do for my brain. And I'm like, okay, I'm sold. I can do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, first of all, a lot of people enjoy sleeping. So it's an easy sell for a lot of folks. I think that, hey, quality sleep is actually one of the number one things you can do to increase your productivity. Now, here's the thing that that I guess I need to get out of the out of the gate here is I am not the captain sleeper. You're, you're not talking to a guy who every day gets his his uh, sleep right and and got it squared away. I'm an overnight pediatric pharmacist who has many side hustles in the cannabis space, and my sleep is not very good. It's not terrible. I take a lot of steps to make sure that I don't step in. I think what I would call some common potholes, um, and I am you know, not to make people mad, one of those individuals who can just fall asleep, right? I can't always stay asleep. I can't, you know, all of that. But when it comes, when my head hits the pillow, I am blessed to just be able to to turn it off. Now, I know that's not everyone. And we'll talk a little bit about what we can do, maybe some herbs that can help with that situation, um, and some some shortcomings of using cannabis for sleep. I live a very action-oriented day. I try to be very conscious about showing up in every moment. And so when I get to bed, I can go right to sleep. I'm exhausted at the end of the day. But yeah, a lot of people deal with insomnia and, you know, the, the periodic or frequent waking up in the middle of the night. So, you know, from a professional's perspective, I think there's kind of a baseline of what good sleep looks like. And, for most of us, we think that means you never wake up. Your head hits the pillow and you're just asleep until the alarm goes off. But that's not true. You know, right. there is it is natural to wake up some in the middle of the night. So, you know, kind of give us a framework of what good sleep actually looks like. Absolutely. It's not that complicated, right? For one, it would be pretty long, right? It it depends on how old you are, how much sleep you need. Younger children need more sleep. They've got a healthy, growing, hardworking brain. Older individuals, especially senior citizens, tend to need less sleep. A lot of a lot of people above the age of 70 or 80 can only sleep for four or five hours at a time. They wake up, they're very uncomfortable, they're not they're no longer tired. Why? The body's just kind of moving at a different pace and therefore it has less less things to worry about and less things to clean up. But one thing, you know, kind of what I was getting at there is the time in which we dedicate to sleep is one of the biggest factors to define good sleep. Now, you know, what that time frame is, again, varies by your age, but generally speaking, the answer is around seven hours, right? We need to really be trying to fit in seven to eight hours to really give our bodies and brains a chance to reset and clean up. And when I say clean up, I mean it. The the janitors sort of come out in the brain and they sweep up the trash that was created by this chaotic thing called life, right? And they they wipe the the brain windows down and clean the floors and get everything ready for the new morning, right? And if we don't the janitors don't have enough time to get their job done, then then we're not going to wake up feeling as refreshed and squeaky clean in the morning. Uh, and I think that's probably the reason time matters so much. I of love that analogy. That's really yeah, good and I, it's it's pretty applicable too because it turns out that there are these things called plaques when we talk about Alzheimer's disease and accumulation of of protein deposits in the brain that leads to our memory issues and sleep and Alzheimer's are very well very much connected and it seems as if it 
it could be related to a problem with these cleanup crews during sleep that's leading to this inability for Alzheimer's brains to clean up these plaques. So um, this is definitely connected to some science there as well. Now, when it comes to the second factor of what high-quality sleep is, is, is that's, that's sort of staying asleep, right? Your ability to enter deep sleep and stay there. And as you mentioned, ideally, like perfect world, no one even wiggles in the night and you get a nice seven and a half hours, you wake up in the exact position you started in. But that's just not really the way the world works, at least for most of us. And so I think, you know, a, a few wake-ups is normal. We sleep in cycles, and, and there, there are at least four phases of our sleep. Um, you know, phase one to phase four, and phase four is the deepest uh, sleep. Our body is essentially paralyzed, and our brain is working very, very hard. We're dreaming. Um, so lots of really sort of intense science on each step as we've sort of discovered what's happening in the brain scientists have even identified the frequency of the brain waves during these phases of sleep, right? Remember, your brain is one big electric current machine. That's how it sends its messages, chemicals and electrical signals. So, you know, it sort of has to keep a vibe going all night, even when you're asleep, it doesn't just shut off like the TV and then turn back on, you know, it's always on in the background. And while you're sleeping, like I said, it's cleaning up, it's deciding what memories that we got through the day are going to be stored. And it does that in this, this uh, last phase of sleep called REM sleep, which is rapid eye movement. And it's the part where we're often dreaming. Or perhaps if you have a dog or a cat, you've seen them in this state of their dream where they're not sleeping and snoring, but rather twitching, moving, maybe even barking. My, my bulldog barks in her sleep. That's cute. <laughs> uh, so when yeah. we are in the REM stage, what is that brainwave at that point? Is it theta waves or what is it? I, I want to say that's true, but I will want to bring back that I'm a pharmacist. I'm an expert on the medicine that we're dealing with, and and there's a lot. There's entire experts on on sleep, so I'd, I'd hate to jump in. I do think you're right, though. It is very much theta waves, um, it, but each each phase of sleep has its own wave like uh, structure, and they've even done some really cool stuff about trying to go in. Um, rem remember the Alzheimer brain that I was mm -hmm. mentioning. They've actually taken a fiber optic light cable and put it into the brain of, of uh, animals and then made it flash at the wavelength of theta. And this actually stimulated the cleanup crews to go in and clean up these plaques in the brain. So wow. they were able to, with optical cords, stimulate the brain to, to turn on the cleanup crew that happens during REM sleep. Really interesting uh, mm -hmm. science. Um, but I don't want to misspeak, so I, I can't yeah. answer that, that, Fair that directly. Fair enough. So how does our body regulate sleep? Because, you know, ultimately we're going to start talking about cannabis because that's that's what we know and love, and it's one of <laughs> you know, our favorite medicines. So I want everyone to understand how our body regulates sleep and then why cannabis might be introduced to help that. Absolutely. The body is a masterful, call it an orchestra, of, of ready for this, uh, billions and billions of cells all talking to each other, right? Like this is, this is an insane amount of coordination between the things going on in my brain, those electrical signals and everything that's coming out of my mouth and my tongue and my, my vocal cords and my lungs just to make the sound that we are listening to right now. 
when you think about sleep, right, all, the whole body coordinating with the brain to do something at one, you got to think, okay, this is more than one system. It's not like the brain just turns on the sleepy hormone and we all go to sleep. Although we do have a sleepy hormone. We talk about it, melatonin, right? Melatonin is a very common over-the-counter supplement. A lot of people are familiar with this availability and its ability to help with sleep, but not a lot of people recognize that melatonin is indeed a hormone produced in very minute amounts by a a very small organ in the center of the brain called the pineal gland, and it produces it in order to keep our rhythm, to keep our cycle along with the sun so that we know what time of day it is and also maybe what season it is just inherently because we're programmed as animals on planet Earth to be in tune with this. It's really incredible. Now, this hormone is, is common in, in all animals. And like I said, it's produced in super small amounts. We've taken it and started maybe to run away with it, but we're going to come back to melatonin later. What I want to talk about is your circadian rhythm because melatonin is just one hormone in your rhythm. And your rhythm, go figure, isn't going to be the same as mine, but we do generally run on the same fuel. So, what are those fuels? Usually hormones, usually neurotransmitters that can spike. But the first thing I'll mention is your stress hormone, hydrocortisol, or cortisol as, as often is stated. Most of us have heard of this. We know it's related to be feeling stressed out. But a lot of us don't realize naturally our body spikes cortisol production in the morning. We are more likely to have problems with high blood pressure. We are more likely to have problems with uh, diabetes because our cortisol levels are higher in the morning to wake up and deal with the stress of the day. Even our ancestors going back to before we had civilization found morning stressful. Why? It's bloody cold. We need to start a fire. We need to find something to eat, right? And, and then we must figure out how to not get eaten by the, the large mammal that is roaming there, the saber-toothed tiger. So our body naturally produces cortisol, the stress hormone, in the morning. But here's what's pretty cool is right behind that stress hormone cortisol, we have another uh not a hormone this time. This is a uh, homeostatic messenger. We have endocannabinoid production. An endocannabinoid called 2-AG is produced just a short time after your body produces hydrocortisol to help mitigate and turn off the actual stress signals. Because the unfetted stress can be really hard on the body. It can cause inflammation. It can cause heart disease and all of these things that we know that we talk about why stress is bad in modern society. This is the same thing. Stress means stress hormones and our endocannabinoid system naturally turns off those stress hormones as part of our circadian rhythm. And, and you can see now that if we have all these different hormones, melatonin, hydrocortisone, and, and now the endocannabinoid system, a bunch of other... Uh, molecules in the body, we can actually see that together they have to move and introducing one like melatonin or THC from weed is going to alter this rhythm and can help in certain cases. Let's say your rhythm is off, right? But let's imagine in another circumstance that you could set your rhythm out of balance or out of, out of a proper pace because you're introducing the wrong substance at the wrong time. Yes, and it is a rhythm for sure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are all the negative things that we can do to disrupt that. But then kind of seeking out 
nature helps us get back into our circadian rhythm. Like, you know, I had learned that watching the sunrise and watching the sunset, like visually we can help get our circadian rhythm back in order. I don't know how it all works, but I know that it does. <laughs> well, we know that light works, right? We already we just talked about how how we can actually look at these lights and it can change the way the brain's functioning. I just talked about how we did this in a laboratory. It makes complete sense that seeing the sun rise, uh, a certain angle, a certain wavelength of light hitting hitting the human eye could trigger a hormonal response. It also makes sense that going into nature sets you back into rhythm. There's no artificial lights in nature, right? There's no, there's just the sunshine and the sun has always been the focal point of the human rhythm. In fact, almost the rhythm of all animals on earth, whether they're nocturnal or, or like us in the humans, they, they were they are awake in the daytime, they still have a rhythm. They understand and it moves with the sun because that big ball of energy in the sky is the thing that has gotten us here. Everything on life, or everything here on earth has has some connection to, to the energy the sun has put off. And, and in this case, we are intrinsically tied to the, to the solar cycle, right? To this, this setting and rising of the sun every day. So with you being a pharmacist who focuses on cannabis-based medicines, let's now talk about how we can help find our rhythm and, and help our body to fall asleep and to wake up and function properly. Yeah, well, we can definitely talk about some, some tips and tricks around the medicines you're using and then also some sleep hygiene that I think is important for us all to remember. Yes, without falling into the traps that we now are in with leaning on alcohol or all of these other things. So we can definitely talk about some of those. Yeah, okay, yeah, good. for sure. I would I would love to talk about the cons of of certain medications or substances. I think alcohol is the one that that gets trips me up the most though, right? A lot of people will continually to use alcohol to sort of help them fall asleep. Um, and we just know that this is a, this is a trap, <laughs> uh, alcohol other than, other than maybe a very small amount on a, on a rare occasion is definitely disrupting sleep and not, not promoting it. Um, and that's been generally been shown across the board, um, whenever yeah. we're looking at how alcohol affects sleep. But I, I didn't mean to take a tangent there, but that's the one that, that always, uh, trips well, me Well, and I'm okay to, to stay on that tangent for a second because I hear people all the time, who, you know, have just finished three or four alcoholic beverages and then they tell me how, you know, they have sleep issues and that they, you know, use cannabis for their sleep. And I'm like, well, I don't know if it's a sleep issue or if it's maybe an alcohol issue because that does not help you sleep. It, it helps you feel like you're sleeping, right? It, it helps it helps the body sort of turn off, which is some people's problem, right? So, so when we're talking about sleep issues, there's is the issue the ability to sort of uh, stay asleep? Is it sleep onset? Is it the ability to actually close your eyes and fall asleep, or is it the ability to kind of sleep throughout the night uh, for the full duration? And depending on what your issue is, is going to depend on what treatment we we opt for. Alcohol at least in the short term, seems to do okay with that onset thing, right? It tends to help us just turn the brain off. But the problem is when we look at alcohol and we look at what it does to our brainwaves is it doesn't last long enough. It doesn't, it doesn't continue to produce that um, appropriate 
onset into brain. So often people are going to wake up or get really poor sleep when they're consuming alcohol. When you're consuming a lot of alcohol, I mean, at this this is an entirely other concept. I don't think anyone would argue a hangover produces, uh, you know, a well-rested individual. But even that short amount of alcohol has not been shown to improve, um, you know, a person's ability to stay asleep or sleep through the night. So, yeah, let's talk then about falling asleep versus passing out, because to me, that's passing out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess it would depend on, (laughs) I guess it would depend on, oh, no, a timer. So I I put it on uh, sleep mode, too, but apparently the timer wasn't (laughs) off. Uh, So, of course, there is a difference um, because one is one is uh, induced by a substance. Right. But the line between passing out and falling asleep with the help of medicine is not a terribly clear line, even if that medicine is alcohol. Of course, when I think of passing out, I think of someone sleeping somewhere where they never intended to sleep. So that's that's my <laughs> definition of passing out. Like, you didn't make it to bed or take your shoes off. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it is important that people understand the difference um, of what, like, you know, healthy sleep looks like, Um and, and what unhealthy and certainly anyone's sleep who needs a substance every single night isn't going very well. If that's that means alcohol, but it also means if you need to sleep with with cannabis every night, it means you have to use uh, sleep aids, prescription sleep yeah. aids or over the counter every Benadryl night. Benadryl is a big or, one that I yeah, know that's a big use. one. ZQuil, it's also called. They rebranded it, but it's still Benadryl, diphenhydramine, and antihistamine, and then uh, melatonin. Every night, there's there's increasing evidence that melatonin every night can sort of set us out of whack, and especially if we're not judicious around timing, low dose, you know, consistency, and, and things of that nature, and all those sleep hygiene things. Because remember, it's not one system in your brain; it's all the systems, and it's all interconnected, including the endocannabinoid system. And we need to address it sort of system by system, target by target, and make sure we're checking all our sleep boxes. So when we are taking melatonin, you know, as a oral gummy or tablet or whatever. Does that mean our body stops producing it? Or does that just mean that our body's flooded with it? Like what's happening there? Yeah. So remember the pineal gland, this really little organ in your brain is producing a very tiny, minute dose of melatonin in the brain already, right? And telling and sort of trying to program that sleep schedule in that rhythm. What we take, what happens when we take any medicine by mouth, this is sort of a lesson in pharmacokinetics, is it has to go through our mouths, through our stomachs, into our small intestine where it can then be broken down. Keep in mind, there's acid in the stomach that can that can start to degrade medicines. And then it's got to be absorbed from the intestines, sent through the liver, which is primarily involved in cleaning things up. And then melatonin has to sort of get into our, our CNS in order to get to the same part of the brain that it was released naturally. So we have to overcompensate with large doses of melatonin orally in order to get to the brain effects that we're looking for. And in that case, we could be setting off lots of other systems that depend on melatonin, really small amounts, to to kind of keep its natural flow and rhythm. So yes, we're sort of saturating the system, particularly with some of the doses we see on the market today. It's not uncommon to see gummies that are 10 or even 15 milligrams 
Um, and the in the brain is producing micrograms, right? So one thousandth uh-huh. of that those general numbers. Um, so a much bit, bit there's a big difference there. And in addition to that large dose, you kind of said, are we reducing our production? There's not good evidence to say that, but here's what I will point out. Every hormone system that we know that we supplement from exogenous sources, that means outside of the body bringing them in, we tend to see, I can't think of a single exception, a reduction in endogenous production. So as you introduce external hormones, you produce less of your own hormones. And this is, again, we see this across most hormone systems. I would be surprised to, to learn that if that wasn't the case, is if we could, we could be altering our own melatonin production. Whether that's permanent or not, um, I, I don't think we, we would know. It's unlikely. The body, again, is pretty masterful. But I, yes, it's both. Okay. So then now that you've said that, let's talk about that overdependence that some people get on cannabis for sleep. Yeah, I or melatonin for that matter, right? I'm using melatonin well every night, you know, as we were just talking about. It. My concern around melatonin is not that it's harmful, it's not that it's not effective. It's it's not even that I don't like it. I think it's a really useful agent. But you have to kind of consider how a medicine works in order to evaluate whether we should be, how, how we should be using it. In the case of melatonin, it works by activating melatonin receptors. Yeah, we have melatonin receptors in our, in our brains. So these melatonin receptors are involved in two different things. One is sleep onset, right? So this is sort of falling asleep, helping us go to sleep. And the other is in that circadian rhythm. And melatonin goes and stimulates both of these receptors. So, okay, great. It's good if it helps me fall asleep. But let's say I normally go to sleep at 930 and it's currently midnight because I screwed up my routine or maybe I stayed out late having a drink with my friend or a smoke with my friend for that matter, Uh, right? And now you're out of whack. If you take that melatonin at midnight, yeah, it might help you fall asleep tonight, but it could be setting you up for failure, let's say tomorrow night because you hit reset the clock at midnight and you normally hit reset the clock at 930. So there's one example of how melatonin can, can sort of become a hiccup. And then the other is like we said, this could alter your normal rhythm and you could almost become dependent. I don't like that word. Uh, but but your body would become accustomed to this large melatonin dose from the outside as its stimuli to, to wind down, as opposed to, to taking the cue from your brain. Uh, but then kind of leaning into cannabis, it's the same problem, right? So as I said, the stress hormones of the morning come up and through the day they start to wax and wane and they're being turned off by a production of endocannabinoids. We see that the body generally is turning up the endocannabinoid system and is ready to, to have it stimulated, hopefully to go to bed at the end of the day. We can use THC, right? And, and maybe CBD, uh, to, alter the way that the body is is sort of responding to the normal sleep signals and telling it where to go and we can manipulate sleep i think anyone who's had too much thc has probably experienced some grogginess some some somnolence as they might say mm-hmm. uh and and definitely can appreciate that there is a sedating effect at some point along the high curve yeah, for sure. And I microdose most of the time in general. But if I microdose the wrong flower before I go to bed, you know, I can sometimes lay awake. So, you know, choosing the right strain for me is 
important. I don't really use the edibles and and tinctures and things like that, you know, before bed. It's just kind of that ritualistic smoke. But that can go awry if you don't have the right cultivar. Totally. It's cultivar and it's dose. And it's what I like to call, uh, it's the chemovar, right? What is the chemical profile? You know, uh, in my experience, a high THC tends to be, you know, the best for sort of inducing sleep. But like you said, if you go too far, I call this... um, like a dreamlike st- state uh, that that a lot of people can fall into if they try to go to sleep while they're pretty pretty stoned still is that they can fall into what is it's like a stream of consciousness as they lay there in bed and sort of like seeing like a little kaleidoscope of events and activities right they're kind of seeing the brain processing and getting ready to wind down um, but some people would say unable to turn their brain off and that is absolutely one of the side effects of of consuming too much THC before bed. We do have lots of mixed data on cannabis, but here's the overarching theme. The big studies that look at what THC does to our brain is in the short term, so in the acute phase when we're not chronically using cannabis for sleep, we see an improvement in in the ability to sort of fall asleep and, and kind of stay asleep through the early part of the night. The other thing we see with with acute THC administration is a is a suppression in REM sleep. We see a reduction in an overall dream state, um, maybe in the time of REM sleep, but definitely in the memory, in the experience of REM sleep. Forgetting dreaming is a well established side effect of THC consumption. So. We definitely have seen these impacts from cannabis and and anyone, again, who's used THC can probably say one time that they've experienced one of these. The concern with THC comes with chronic administration, kind of, you know, not dissimilar to the other medicines we've talked about so far or will talk about, is, is that the body can get out of rhythm, sort of expecting this large hit to the endocannabinoid system to help put it into sleep. And then and then a lot of people will will struggle to sleep without cannabis. In fact, individuals who become very accustomed to THC can become, um, you know, very well adjusted to having that dose. And without THC, when we stop consuming, very much suffer from insomnia. And very intense dreams are commonly reported as well. Um, while someone who's become dependent on THC is is um, taking a tolerance break or, or quitting. I think one of those tolerance breaks is a great opportunity to um, experiment with the other cannabinoids because other cannabinoids can help you sleep without having the psychoactive effects. And, you know, as you were talking about sleep, having like the cleaning crew come in and and clean up our brain and, you know, get us ready for the next day. I call CBD the scrubbing bubbles of the endocannabinoid system, you know, so it's cleaning up all we've overconsumed THC, our, you know, bucket runneth over and CBD can come in and like, you know, toss it out, scrub it up, get it ready again, reprime the system. And a lot of people lean on CBD for sleeping. However, when I tried that experiment, I would stay awake at night with CBD. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily work like that for everyone. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, this is the masterful system that I, I'm always ranting about. So if you follow me on LinkedIn, if you don't, please do, or Instagram or all these other platforms I'm on, it'll be in the show notes. 
what you'll find is that this system is is masterfully complex, right? And all of all of our brains are all unique. Now you're like, okay, well that shouldn't matter, right? We all respond the same to let's say Xanax. Well, that's true, but CBD in particular is what I call a promiscuous molecule. It's very bendy. It can fit into a lot of different what we call receptors or pockets. And because of that, it's going to be different from one individual to the next. Um, and a lot of factors can influence the way that our body is responding to cannabinoids like THC and CBD, including hormones like estrogen. So uh, a woman's menstrual cycle can even impact the way that THC is going to affect her, including how it's going to influence their sleep. Uh, there's there's just a lot of overlapping layers of complexity here, but there is some evidence to say that CBD can help some individuals with sleep. How it does that, it's not entirely clear, but a lot of the benefit is proposed to be sort of just healthful uh, anti-inflammatory sort of general benefits, antioxidant effects, rather than true impact on the, the sleeping pathways. Interesting. Okay. Now, what about CBN? That was one of the first other cannabinoids that I learned about because it was like, okay, as THC gets older and it degrades, it will turn into CBN. So if you have old weed, just smoke it before bed. That was kind of like one of my <laughs> early lessons. So it was one of my early lessons too, you know, like I would say eight years ago, 10 years ago, that was sort of the consensus uh, of the science. And, and it's based in somewhat truth, Joe, is like, okay, THC naturally over time degrades uh, into CBN. That's just a thing that happens. This is just the, the nature of THC. Keep in mind, it's actually the nature of THCA the, which is what the plant produces, to naturally degrade to THC and then to naturally further degrade to CBN. Now, that process in normal conditions sitting on your counter or on your shelf, right, exposed to open air still can take many months uh, or, or longer, okay? It's, it's not a fast process unless it's in light or, or in the wrong conditions, right? Heat, mm -hmm. lighter heat. So, the degradation is natural, but it happens. But... CBN degradation also happens during the burning of THC, so during the smoking of cannabis. So there is a production of CBN anytime you've lit a joint up, okay? So that's an interesting, an interesting mm -hmm. thought. So let's talk a little bit about how CBN got its claim to fame. CBN was actually the first discovered cannabinoid, uh, first ever isolated in 1899. Okay, the, the very first time we, we figured it all out. And the reason it was probably CBN, it's proposed is because it came all the way from India. It was Indian hemp, aka the, the early marijuana that came to the New World. They found it, they extracted it, and they found this psychoactive uh, medication that had narcotic effects. Narcotic means to induce narcolepsy or to, to induce sleep. Uh, but so CBN sedative right off the bat, we know it right going all the way back to the earliest research. But what really happened is sometime in the 2000s, there was a publication that said CBN was associated with sleep. And the industry grabbed that and ran with it. There were some studies that were done in the 1970s, yes, the 1970s, that did look at whether TH or CBN was sedating. And they did find, when combined with other sedative medicines like phenobarbital, 
other drugs that are pharmaceutical drugs, it did produce a, a state of sleepiness. But further follow-up studies actually didn't show much difference between sort of uh, CBN and really think that it was the, the residual THC in these CBN products that might be contributing to their, their effectiveness in treating sleep. So currently, we have an entire industry that is marketing CBN as a sleep aid, and we have a great lack of evidence to support its use as a sleep aid. So I kind of took a roundabout course there, but the truth is, is it's not necessarily what you heard. Okay, so that's interesting because I was sent some CBN sleep sublingual things. One was a fall asleep formulation and one was a stay asleep formulation. The fall asleep one, it says, put the sublingual under your tongue and be asleep within 15 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, right. I tried this three nights in a row set my timer for 15 minutes and every time I was asleep before that timer went off. So just my own anecdotal evidence was it worked way better for me than anything else I had ever tried. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. Send me some. Dragger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, look, I, I mean, there's so much to unbox here. But, but the truth is, is despite the marketing claims, the science is not there to say CBN is the sleepy cannabinoid. Okay, what the science does say and is established is CBN has more potent effects at the CB2 receptor rather than the CB1. So when you compare THC and CBN, we see that THC much prefers to stimulate the CB1 receptor in mm -hmm. our brain, which we think is what's helping with sleep. Whereas CBN actually prefers the CB2 receptor in our brains and bodies, which is the immune system. So we already know this, this right off the bat. Uh, we don't have good studies saying that CBN causes sleep uh, alone. But when combined with THC, there is, it does appear to have, it have this narcoleptic effect. And... The last thing I wanted to say was, interestingly enough, CBN is also being studied for many other conditions right now. Um, they've got, they're looking into its use for um, topical application for many other diseases, and they're looking at how CBN might be more beneficial than THC for glaucoma and many other really interesting situations. So CBN has a role. It's going to be medicinal. It's super useful. I just don't know if it's going to be sleep. However, anecdote, uh, I'm not going to argue with you. It sounds like you got a good night's rest. Yeah, and it's totally fine for the science to not be somewhere, you know? I mean, it's like we are all precious snowflakes. We're experimenting with our relationship <laughs> with these cannabinoids, and we all are functioning differently. And that's why I think a dosage tracker or just like tracking the data of your experience is so important because... If something is working for me, that's fine. It works for me. But if I if I start listening to people say, well, there's not evidence of that, then I may feel like I don't know enough. So, okay, I'll listen to these experts. So I'm all about listening to your body before you listen to the experts. 
Yeah, we, experts can only tell you what like generally happens, right? That's what that's what all science is rooted in, right? It's like, well, statistically, this is likely for most people in most circumstances, but never does science definitively say all every time. It's just not the way that it's not what science is trying to do. Trying science is trying to say with a, a reasonable degree of accuracy that this is more likely an association. You know, that's just the way that statistics works. Um, well, and I would also like to interject that with science the road goes on forever and the party never ends like we are not going to get to a finish line of cannabis like we are constantly learning and expanding what that is so it's not to say that where the science is now is where it's going to end up it will continue to evolve just like us Exactly. And our understanding will continue to evolve. Some things that we think now are going to be thrown out and we're going to think they're ridiculous. Other things that we think are ridiculous right now is going to be actually, okay, yeah, that is that is what it is. Uh, and so, yeah, you're 100% correct. And there's no problem with leaning into what we know right now, which is a couple things. We know that CBN plus THC in this the more recent studies worked better than THC or CBN alone. Another interesting thing is this is formed when people smoke joints. And in my experience and through some surveys I've done on LinkedIn, people tend to think smoking is better for sleep than vaping or dabbing. Uh, I don't know why, but people tend to think vaporizers are more stimulating. We don't have these answers yet, but we know that smoking occurs at a much higher temperature, like a thousand degrees hotter than vaping or dabbing. And at those higher temperatures, more CBN will be produced, um, which has been shown for a lot of people, you know, that just, just say that smoking works for them and vaping doesn't. Like there are many of these individuals in the world. We can't fully explain it, but pharmacologically, this makes sense. The production of other cannabinoids like CBN in the smoking process. So let's also talk about layering the experience because I agree if I want instant gratification, I will microdose puffing on a joint or a bowl or a bong or whatever that might be. But then I also will, you know, drink a mocktail with a cannabis tincture in it or, you know, eat a gummy or something. That way that will kick in like a tincture in a drink might be 15 or 20 minutes down the road. The edible might be an hour, hour and a half down the road. I find value in that layering experience. I think a lot of healthcare professionals lean into this method. But again, it has to do with your personal sleep problem, right? So generally speaking, we talked about the two problems with sleep. It's either falling asleep or staying asleep. If your issue is around falling asleep, then a rapid acting product is probably what you need in order to help induce, you know, within, let's say, an hour of when you consume that that state of sleepiness. Now, the problem with that is, let's say that means cannabis smoke, then you're only going to get two to three hours of effectiveness there. So if you have both problems, both falling asleep and staying asleep, you've only solved one of them. So often medical professionals will layer these products. They'll give you an oral, like let's say CBD or THC gummy, and then they'll also give you this inhalable product a couple puffs before bed, you know, 45 minutes before you want to go to sleep. And then those together can try to get us from, from sort of this inability to fall asleep and then four hours to maybe falling asleep quickly and getting five or six hours. And and just that small difference can go a really long way in people's quality of life and how well they feel when they wake up in the morning. Yeah. So 
I have a client that is a, a teenager, 16, going on 17. She's had sleep issues since she was a little girl. And her parents found out that she had been medicating herself with cannabis for about a year before they found okay. out. And, found you weed. know, the the instinct was to take it all away and like, you know, this is, you can't do this, this is bad for you, you're, you know, teenager, your brain's developing. And she's just like, nothing else is helping. And she's been on a lot of medications for sleep and anxiety and all of the things. Right. And so as someone who is a pediatric pharmacist, I would really love to get your take on teens with sleeping issues and and you know, what you're seeing in your practice, advice for parents, you know, the whole gamut. Jump yeah. in wherever you think is the best place. Oh, it's it's like a it's like actually a huge question, maybe a podcast deserving of, of its own time, but absolutely to to address the question right away is this is not the first this is not the first teen or the last teen who will be using cannabis to help them sleep. Uh, and, and sleep issues are not uncommon for a teenager either. You know, uh, the teen brain is programmed to kind of function on this later night, go to bed and wake up a little bit later, but we force them into their, the traditional school routine. You know, there's been a lot of criticism over this over time. Cause remember, we're all different. We're all in different phases of our lives and, and just, we need different things as, as different aged individuals. Now, Obviously, the concern, one of the biggest concerns around the introduction and sort of the um, normalization of cannabis is the risk of, of teen use, the risk of developing unhealthy relationships with the plant at a young age. And obviously, as a pediatric pharmacist, I am concerned around this. Cannabis is a mildly addictive substances. Teens often lean into substances that make them feel good. I have seen individuals misuse cannabis, but certainly not every teen that I know has that use is cannabis is going to become some sort of, you know, uh, hopeless drug addict who's off in the streets and has no emotional control and a low IQ. That is absolutely nonsense. Teens have been finding herb and consuming it for a long, long time. Uh, so to, to get to where I would be with this patient is I'm not into patient shaming. If this patient found something that works for them, particularly if it works better than other prescriptions, which come with their own issues, particularly controlled substances like benzodiazepines, Xanax, which is commonly prescribed for um, for sleep problems. I have a much bigger concern and have seen much bigger problems with Xanax abuse than I have with cannabis abuse. So kind of weighing our risk factors there, um, I would I would say that. Now, advice for this young woman, I, I think that we need to look at all the factors that contribute to sleep. I have no doubt that, that this, this individual probably has some underlying sleep issues. They probably have an underlying anxiety uh, problem. So I would want to kind of get to the root of that daytime problem, maybe with a non-psychoactive cannabinoid like CBD or CBG. And then I would we could attack the sleep. If THC is working for this individual, she's not going to stop. If you tell her, hey, this is bad, don't do that. They're, they're humans, right? They're going to do what works for them. Um, so I would say that that continue to work with cannabis but be very mindful of what the things that you've learned in sharing that knowledge around dose and timing and regular use right don't do this every day only in the days where you're challenged uh sleep hygiene 
What are you doing with your phone? I think this is the biggest question to any teenager right now. Where is the phone from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m.? <laughs> because yeah. if the answer's in your hand, we have a problem. Because you just can't turn it off, especially in today's world. Yeah. I mean, these are all things that I did talk to her about. And, you know, the importance of giving yourself those little breaks during the day. You know, I'm a fan of the power nap. It's hilarious how um, as children we're forced to nap and none of us want to. And then we get to like, you know, our high school years and all we want to do is take a nap and nobody will let us. <laughs> that is funny. And it make again, it makes sense if the if the teenager's staying up later in night at, at night, then to have the nap in the middle of the day makes complete sense. And I agree. My teens my probably teens to mid twenties. Those are the days where I desperately wanted a nap, like all the time. Yeah, interesting. So yes, we talk about the lighting and and screen time, and you know when you do wake up in the middle of the night, you know what is your first move? Is it to reach for your phone? Like you know, just trying to to deal with all of those things. But I think part of the issue with teens and the cannabis piece is the dosage and truly getting them to listen to their bodies, not just knee jerk reaction of now I need cannabis to go to sleep because that's where she is. And, well, you she's know, just, and she found something that works and w wants to, it to be the, the sole solution. Is that the kind of the yeah, like the, the answers, you know, the answers cannabis and I'm trying to say, okay, what are some non cannabis solutions that we can attempt? Because ultimately, yes, cannabis works for you, but it's not the best choice for a developing brain. Mm hmm. And it's not a perfect long-term solution. We know that over over long periods, regular cannabis use can actually sort of disrupt some of our, our normal sleep patterns and not produce better sleep. It doesn't mean everyone who's using cannabis chronically doesn't sleep well. It just means that the, the association is there. But yeah, the problem becomes is if cannabis is your primary tool, right? Because we have many tools available to us. But if cannabis becomes your primary tool at a young age, you're sort of burning up one of these, these very valuable tools and setting yourself up to be with a worse problem and almost be in a situation where prescription medicine is, is the only good you know, option. And then all of a sudden we're behind the eight ball. We've, we've used cannabis and we've, we've got the benzos already. And unfortunately we just have a bad sleep schedule now. And you know, what's even harder making good, positive, healthy changes when you don't get enough sleep, because it's hard to make good decisions when you're tired. Yes. These are all of the, the concerns that I have. And I'm just like, okay, what are some of these non cannabis tools that can aid in sleep. I'm a fan of the Huberman Lab podcast, and he created this like sleep toolkit for people. And he discusses some, you know, over the counter type options. You can probably highlight some of those, some of your favorite things that that you tend to recommend. Totally. There's a few options that are supported by research. Um, there's there's a few that are just supported by by really common sense, um, like the phone stuff, right? So we're not going to get into that anymore. But I think that it's pretty clear that we know that the light coming off the phone is is screwing up our sleep. So don't touch it in the middle of the night. Don't touch it right before bed. 
As far as supplements for sleep, um, there's a lot of hope for magnesium supplements, in particular magnesium bound to protein. It's called chelated. Um, and this, this releases quite nicely over the course of the night and is very available to the body. And what magnesium plays a role in is, is muscle contraction. And making sure we have enough magnesium can help keep our muscles relaxed. Um, so when, let's say, as we fall asleep and we're having any muscle twitches, um, they, they can be a little more relaxed. It can help relax the blood vessels in the brain and allow, allow everything to sort of smoothly happen. Another really common product found on the market that is uh, mostly found in tea is L-theanine. Uh, is another another option for sleep that a lot of people like, and I think intermittent melatonin is it can be a really effective option. Let's say you pulled an all nighter because you're a freshman in college, or you, you know, just something went awry and you're trying to get back into your routine. Melatonin is a great option. Keep the dose low, one to three milligrams. Give it a night or two, right, to set the rhythm. But don't lean on it every night, especially not with that variable schedule that we talked about. So I think those three, plus maybe a little bit of uh, THC if you're uh, of age and, and have access, um, I think that that can be a, a really helpful tool for the experienced user. Um, for someone who has little experience with, with cannabis, um, I think you want to be really thoughtful around um, that bedtime use because like you said, sometimes you can find it, it doesn't help sleep. Okay, if if we are on some anti-anxiety sedative type medicine and we aren't enjoying the side effects that we have, what is a way that we work with our doctor, our pharmacist to, you know, wean ourselves off of these things and try some of the things like you were just mentioning? Yeah, that's a really good question. And every time we're taking someone off of a prescription medication, particularly some of the ones that help with sleep, we have to be careful uh, because when we when we pull them back, sleep sleep issues can become become worse. Um, and depending on how long we've been taking these medications, it can have serious effects. So definitely speak to your pharmacist if you've been using prescription meds and you'd like to come off of them. However, the the short answer is it's like go slowly, right? It's like to tiptoe towards the towards the answer. I think instituting one change at a time is critical when we're dealing with sleep. A lot of the times we'll throw two things, right? So you'll turn off the screen and you'll try cannabis. And oh, you're like, oh, the cannabis worked, right? But maybe it was the it was the screen time that helped. So I think that's a really important tip for sleep practices is doing that. And then also trying to keep that either, um, let's say, a, a dream journal or a thought journal. When you wake up and you have this thing that is just bothering you and you can't get it out of your head, a lot of times writing that, that thing down can help people relax so that they can put it to the side. They won't forget when they wake up in the morning because that alone can create anxiety in some people's heads as well. So dream journal slash notebook next to the bed is like one of these off, off the cuff tips that, that I think can mm -hmm. be helpful. But, you know, I think any change has to be done and mindfully. So if there's another practice we haven't spoken about yet around how we can help improve our sleep is exercise in the daytime, right? Not right before bed, but exercise will help keep your body's endocannabinoid production up, preparing you, you know, to hit the bed earlier. But also it just really improves overall brain health and functioning in general. So we know that exercise mm -hmm. is, is fantastic for setting you up for good sleep at night. And then lastly, the um, 
the mindfulness training that I wanted to mention and really trying to learn how to meditate and really how to be with your own thoughts without getting worked up by them can go a really long way into laying with your thoughts in bed and not chasing that worry, concern, or fear down the rabbit hole uh, that I know that some of us can get sucked into. Totally. Yeah. These are all great tips. They're things that I practice myself. And, you know, the the one thing that I have learned is the power of non-sleep deep rest. Like, you know, even when you, you're laying there and you can't necessarily fall asleep, just being able to clear your mind and do some sort of meditation, whether or not that's just focusing your energy on, you know, I'm relaxing my hands, I'm relaxing my forearms, I'm relaxing my shoulders. and, (laughs) And, you know, and by the time you get through the whole thing, you are relaxed and you can fall asleep. And so, um, leaning into those moments instead of becoming stressed out by them and call and naming them insomnia, naming them, you know, the worries right. what and am stress I feeling? of the world. Anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Those are good. Those are both good techniques. I like focusing on the breath as it as it comes out your nose. I like the body scan technique that you that you mentioned. I think that can be really effective for a new meditator, like just just trying to keep them focused. Um, and then and then yeah, that last one uh, is a no brainer. Is like identifying the emotion, like what is that cloud that's passing in in the sky of your your mind's eye, and mm-hmm. and ident- labeling it, and then just letting that that be. Um, are all three mm-hmm. really effective mindful te- mindfulness techniques that I can tell. You've practiced. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. Now, you know, and another thing that's so important is that that audible sigh or, you know, like having that vibration happening that stimulates our parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah, the <sighs> ujjayi breath, right? Is, a, is yeah. a, Am I getting that right if I remember my yoga teacher as <sighs> yeah. the lion's yeah. breath? I love it. I actually, even still, whenever I do yoga at home, I still make sure I do the, the audible ah. Mm-hmm. Well, the lion's breath is is different. That's oh, sticking oh, your tongue out, up. rolling your eyes back, and oh, okay. <sighs> yeah, I got it wrong. Yeah, that's not it. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> but yeah, you know these things. I mean, we feel a little bit silly doing them, but I think one of the things that you touched on that I really want to reiterate is one thing at a time. Like consider sleep your experiment. And you're only changing one variable at a time and recording what that is. I think people get so impatient with it and they try all of the things at once. Um, I was just giving someone the advice last night. They take a thousand milligrams of CBD one time a day right before they go to sleep. And I'm like, "Mm, here's a little experiment (laughs) for you. Only take, yeah. But, you know, I'm like breaking that amount up over the course of three times during the day. You know, when you wake up in the middle of the day, a few hours before you go to sleep, Mm -hmm. that's a lot, a thousand milligrams right before you go to sleep. But this is someone who they don't know. They just know that CBD is good for inflammation and 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 sleep and whatever else they were told. And then, you know, they just take it. So sure. They read the bottle. You know, it says, it says take up to three a day. It doesn't say to take it three times a day. I agree. But, uh, you're, you're spot on. A lot of the times when we're taking cannabinoids, you know, we're not trying to 
sorry, when we're taking THC at sleep, we're not trying to fill up our whole day with, with THC. But when we're using CBD for inflammation, we do want the CBD sort of there all day long. So it's really about what symptom am I treating, which medicine am I using, and then and then how to thoughtfully do that. And, you know, this pharmacist thinks that the pharmacist is the, the ideal uh, healthcare professional to help guide people through that. But I, I think there has to be this, this amazing bridge model where we can share um, all of this knowledge. And that's why I really appreciate Casually Baked and what you do, Joe, because you're doing a really good job of telling people who are looking for this information and, and giving a really thoughtful, you know, it's not just weed is the answer. Weed is part of the solution. Yes, for sure. Thank you for saying that. Now, one thing that I want to touch on that we didn't, and you and I will be doing a full-blown episode of this when we see each other in person at MJ mm -hmm. BizCon um, in November. But, you know, a lot of young people, when they're experimenting with cannabis, you know, at this point, they may just go, you know, balls out and do a dab first because that's what their friends are doing and, you know, sure. or a gravity bong and have a really terrible experience. And these kids come in to see you they they do sometimes i have seen numerous patients in almost the exact circumstance that you just described joe uh usually yeah. they're they're far younger than you would think 11 you know something something silly like this they're hanging out with older kids uh decide to take a few hits off of a dab pen uh and become you know very uncomfortable with the the way they're feeling often tell their parents and then their parents will bring them into the emergency department uh, I've definitely seen this. Uh, both children like this taking inhalables, yes, even though inhalables are not usually associated. And then I also see, you know, really tragically, we, there was just a, a death associated with some some edibles in a small two or three year old. Just this past week, it was big news. And I do see small children getting into cannabis edibles as well at the hospital. But you were kind of leaning into uh, a more chronic problem, which is um, individuals who are taking THC regularly over long periods and developing something known as cannabinoid hyperemesis. So this is uh, less of an acute problem, like I took too much weed, and more like I've been consuming weed for many years, and now there's something wrong with my gastrointestinal system. I feel like the problem with people consuming cannabis before their brain is fully developed is that there's almost like a, a, a rewiring that can happen. I don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but you know, if it's a microdosing situation that's under a, adult supervision and, you know, with a doctor and a pharmacist and a team of people, because you're dealing with leukemia or something like this or a yeah. movement disorder, like I totally get that, but just the recreational experimentation with cannabis amongst kids who aren't trusting that the adults are giving them all of the information <laughs> and they want to see been. for themselves. <laughs> you know, there was a young person that I know that had a history of mental health issues in their family and, you know, on the other side of the world, experimented with cannabis with people in another country and ended up, parents are getting a phone call like your son's lost his mind and hmm. you know he developed schizophrenia and this is someone that I personally know so for me it's not anecdotal thing that I read somewhere on the internet this is a child that I know yeah, so it's real yeah so let's can we talk about that a little bit 
Yeah, so you're talking about two two different things, though, but it's all sort of connected. So absolutely. So schizophrenia and THC consumption, there's a clear connection. We know that individuals who are at risk and genetically predisposed to develop schizophrenia will develop it earlier if we introduce THC. This has to do with the integral nature of your endocannabinoid system and the way we perceive the world, right? The problem with schizophrenia is psychosis and inappropriate perception of the occurrences in the world around them sort of in your own little world right so this is part of thc's side effect in the wrong brain so that's number one that's a that's a pretty strong connection i'm not trying to be alarmist we know that chronic regular high thc consumption in this patient population is a high risk situation and can induce schizophrenia that's a as a fact it's pretty well established actually in the science now jumping back to adolescence in cannabinoid hyperemesis. So CHS, I do see in the hospital, and I do see in adolescence. I usually see between 15 and 17-year-olds, and often, Joe, they don't even think weed is contributing to their problem. Most of the time, these, these teenagers think that weed is either helping them or for a while thought that weed was helping their situation, but realize now that weed is actually contributing to their cyclical vomiting. Now, cannabinoid hyperemesis, just a quick little teaser, is a dysregulation or an imbalance in the ECS, and it's characterized by basically a few things. One, intense bouts or or rounds of vomiting that can occur in sort of a cyclical manner every five days every every so often you get really intense uncontrollable vomiting that, that you can't keep any food down you can't keep any water down it hurts and it's very uncomfortable now this occurs and recurs and recurs but it doesn't happen immediately after you smoke. So there's not this connection. It's not like I toked and then I vomit, okay? So that's an important distinction. Got it. This is has to do with our body's rhythm and its normal flow. These patients often have more nausea in the morning for whatever reason. It's part of that circadian rhythm that we were talking about earlier. The other thing these patients get, other than this cyclical vomiting, is they are chronic THC consumers, almost all of them, although there are some reports with synthetic cannabinoids and a few with CBD. And the last thing is they get relief from hot showers and baths. So when they take a hot shower or bath, they're no longer nauseous or vomiting. And that is sort of the hallmark symptom. It's chronic use, it's vomiting uh, uncontrollably and relief from hot showers. If you have those three things, there's a high probability that you have something called CHS, which is an imbalance of the ECS, which um, is likely a sort of dysregulation or, or um, a broken peg or peg in the, the system that is the ECS. So anyway, those patients often don't see a problem with their cannabis use. And this kind of brings back this idea that, okay, there's this assumption of safety for cannabis, this assumption that it's, it's sort of perfect and can't do anything harmful, which is not true, as we've already discussed. And mm-hmm. then it's also this idea that I need weed to feel better, right? That when the teen brain starts to become accustomed to having the crutch right there. I'm sad. I'm anxious. I'm I don't feel like me. Maybe I just need to puff on this vape pen. And and that's really when I see the most CHS is, is patients who are using uh, vape pens and vape cartridges uh, and because those I think are, it's so accessible. Yes, 100%. And also <laughs> because they haven't – well, and they, that's what they see the adults doing. Adults are 
constantly <laughs> modeling addictive behavior. And if you aren't learning how to be with your feelings and move energy in your body, kids are looking for Band-Aids just like grownups are. Mm -hmm. And that's yep, what it drink. becomes. Yeah. And now kids can be vaping and it looks just the same as a nicotine yeah. vape. So well, it, it it's is discreet. Easy. It can be done anywhere. That's that's mm -hmm. what I think is is contributing. It used to be if you smoked a cigarette or you smoked a joint, there was like a window of time that you needed to dedicate to the task, right? You needed to set the scene. You got to put the roll it up. You maybe you set the mood. Maybe you need music. Maybe now it's like, yo, let's go to the bathroom. Hey, let's just go in the corner and like take this this you know and that's mm -hmm. whether it's nicotine or or cannabis they both have addictive qualities um mm -hmm. it makes sense that it becomes a bigger problem especially in that developing brain who's just figuring out impulse control and understanding when it makes sense to take the risk and to do something like that and when it makes sense to take the more adult deep breath and and not the puff kids could totally benefit having a course in school that is teaching them emotional intelligence and how to listen to their bodies. Maybe more than any class that they currently get. Yes. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. And you know, I want to talk about something too that you mentioned, and I didn't want to interrupt you, are the synthetic cannabinoids. So now that I moved back to my home state of Texas, where cannabis isn't legal um, in At a all. recreational or adult <laughs> use sense. When you go into a dispensary or a smoke shop here, there's so much Delta 8 and it's uh -huh. synthetic. You know, like there'll be a, a CBD flower that has, you know, a, Delta that's 8 coated in Delta it. 8 keef. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, that is like made in a lab and sprayed on here. I just constantly am trying to tell people like this is, yes, Delta 8 is a real thing, but it's not a real thing that's found in hemp. It's a real thing that's found in cannabis. If you want to smoke Delta 8, get cannabis-derived Delta 8. Joe, you raised a really interesting question and one that is actually unique to the United States. So in 2018, when the farm bill was passed uh, under Donald Trump, laws changed dramatically around the production of hemp in the United States. And hemp, which is low THC cannabis, high CBD, was grown in mass. And now we've we've created a bunch of CBD isolate from that hemp because we didn't have any good supply chains to use it for really anything else, fiber or animal food, etc. So we have a bunch of CBD in this country and nowhere to put it. But what chemists figured out is according to a poorly written 2018 farm bill, every cannabinoid known to man <laughs> except for Delta 9 THC that comes from marijuana is basically free game. So a chemist can take CBD, change it in a laboratory into what's called isomers of THC. So yes, we can produce Delta-9, right? The one that the plant makes, but we can also produce other isomers that the plant does not make. And let's make that clear. The plant does not make Delta-8 THC. It's never been identified in naturally occurring cannabis. The sun that hits naturally occurring Delta-9 in the plant can convert it to Delta-8, but there is no production by the plant for Delta-8. Now, Delta-8 is not the only isomer that can be made. There are many other isomers, Delta-6A, 10A, Delta-7, Delta-6. 
Um, there's a lot of different nuance to this. And currently, my biggest concern around all this is converting CBD isolate into all the products I just described is not a perfectly clean process. You know, this is drug manufacturing. It's typically reserved for very advanced experts in the pharmaceutical field that are under extreme rigor from a federal drug administration. That is not the case with the Farm Bill 2018. This went under the Department of Ag and is basically unregulated. So no one is double checking these chemists. And so I start to see all these products <laughs> flooding to the market and none of them are coming from a plant. They're coming from a test tube that a, a, someone took CBD isolate, mixed it with some acid, some heat and some other stuff to produce whatever it is that psychoactive molecule is on that hemp. But that has never probably even been tested in humans, nor is it going through the rigors that what would be put under any other drug. So I Except prefer for plants. the COVID vaccine. <laughs> well, we'll leave the politics out of it. But even even the COVID vaccine got much more study than the, the cannabinoids that I'm talking about. Now, there is such thing as a study on Delta 8. I don't even have that many concerns around Delta 8. My concern, Joe, is that the people who are making this so-called Delta 8 in the hemp shop you're going to have no one holding them accountable to what they're actually putting on the market. That's that's my concern. T Delta 8 THC is not my what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of stuff that we're not identifying because no one's looking. I agree. That is exactly my concern as well. So, you know, are you seeing anything well, I guess you're in California, so you probably see I way less see of this. I don't see very much. I don't yeah. see very much at all. Although every once yeah. in a while, every once in a while for sure. But yeah, it's much less of a problem in California as we have a pretty decent access situation. It's not hard yeah. to find either legal or illegal, just regular marijuana. Certainly. And, you know, and that's really my concern. I probably sound alarmist to a lot of people when I say... I'm not down with the synthetic cannabinoids because we don't know the long-term ramifications of that. Nope. And frankly, I'm not much of a vapor either. I like to stick to as natural as I can. Herbs. And and especially when we're talking about young people. So, um, you know, I hope that I haven't scared a bunch of parents, um, but I, I do want people to be thinking a little bit deeper about these things. And, you know, if you do have a teen that is consuming cannabis, I'm a huge fan of having the genetic test done. We can see how our body's endocannabinoid system interacts with cannabis. That is available to us now. Yeah, it could be a useful tool, especially with trying to pick out those risk factors around like schizophrenia um, and people who might be overly sensitive to THC. I don't think it's the end all be all. It is just another tool in the tool belt that we can use to help guide cannabis, particularly, let's say, if you have schizophrenia in your family and we want to, you know, kind of figure that out. But just because you have mental health issues and schizophrenia doesn't mean that cannabis is out. It just means THC is out. And all of the side effects that we've discussed so far are mostly related to THC and not the other cannabinoids too. And there's a lot of hope for using CBG, CBDA, THCA, all these cannabinoids that are really abundant in cannabis to help modulate our brains and help us deal with the stressors of life and maybe avoid some of these other issues like 
screwing up our rhythms or, or, you know, leading to an addiction or screwing up our bowels, all of that. So a lot of hope for these minor cannabinoids, especially in these young developing brains. A thousand percent. Yeah. We can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And, you know, I think another important thing with the genetic testing, yes, it's not the end all be all. Um, it probably is one of the most powerful tools because if you are dealing with a teenager, 15, 16, 17, and you give them a roadmap, you know, this is your body. This is what this information says. Involve them in the decision making. You know, it's I think empowering. so much of the time is that kids get told what to do instead of being empowered to make that really good decision for themselves. And call me crazy, but I think kids want that. You're crazy. You crazy, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a fun conversation. I look forward to seeing you again in real life at MJ yeah, BizCon. Vegas, baby. Now, is there anything around this sleep and cannabis conversation that I didn't ask you that you think is important to touch on? No, I, I've said it already. Cannabis is a, is a tool to help us with sleep. It should never be our only tool. We need to make sure we're doing all the other you know, steps around our sleep schedule. But I don't want people to be afraid to use cannabis in this, this purpose. This is one of the most established, most prevalent uses of, of THC on the planet. So we know that there's some utility here, but we just need to be mindful around whenever we're using any medicine for sleep because we want to get the benefits, but we want to avoid the cons. For sure. Now, as the chief scientific officer of Canigma, do y'all have some good articles on on sleep that you would point us to, perhaps? Maybe I can share it in the show notes. 100%. So we did a webinar on sleep last year. We'll definitely share a link to that. Uh, but we also have a nice article on CBN that can help kind of unravel. If I said anything weird in there that maybe didn't make sense, as I do sometimes when I get excited on podcasts, you can absolutely read about CBN and where the literature stands on that. Um, you know, our, our sort of secret sauce at the Kenigma is we have an expert review. That's sort of my job as the chief scientific officer. I recruit, maintain a team of experts that review our articles. So this article on CBN has been reviewed by a pharmacist. The webinar that you'll see on sleep has physicians and pharmacists involved. It's really about trying to bring experts to the table, but presenting it to the layperson who's just trying to find an answer on Google. One of the most frustrating things when I'm looking for the answer to a weed question is going to Google and getting a bunch of really Google optimized websites, but that aren't even answering the question or at worst is just regurgitating what another website said. Mm -hmm. I find it so frustrating. And so this is what we're trying to do with the Kenigma is stop that practice and bring people high, high quality, reliable information one Google search away. I love that. And that's so true because, you know, even when you do find information, then it's like, okay, who's giving me this information? Who are these people? What are their qualifications? What do they actually know? Misinformation is everywhere. So thank you for what you do. I appreciate the Kenigma, and um, and I know our audience will as well. Yeah, I hope that they they learn something when they check it out. And if anyone wants to reach out to me personally, I'm all over social media, particularly LinkedIn and Instagram. It's Cannabis Farm D. I'm sure again that'll be in the show notes. But thanks again, Joe. This has been a lot of fun and a really important conversation. Amen. Cheers to better Z's, right? Cheers. cheers. <laughs> <laughs>
I hope this conversation has you feeling empowered to get your sleep schedule back on track using some of the tools we discussed today. For a deeper dive and to further your education, head over to the podcast 235 show notes at casuallybaked.com, where I've linked the resources Cody shared with us from Kenigma. As always, if you want to connect or collaborate with me, email your messages, requests, or can of curious questions through the website or DM me on social. When I'm there, I'm at Casually Baked on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, The Weed Tube, and Truth Social. And if you find value in the podcast, don't keep it to yourself. Please share it with your smoke circle. However you decide to support our highly responsible cannabis movement, thank you for doing your part to Puff Puff Pass It On. Yes, is a high time. We had a Casually Baked, the podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Jamie Humiston at PodConnects. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create High Time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Joyce Gerber, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast, The Canna Mom Show. And we are on a mission to enhance the impact women have on this industry as business professionals healthcare providers, policy advocates, caregivers, moms, by sharing and preserving their stories of love and kindness, wisdom, and hope. I am so grateful to have found my tribe of Canada podcasters right here on PodConnex and look forward to our work of crushing the stigma around cannabis and caregivers and building this new industry together.